Hello, fellow LGBTQ community. How are y'all doing, my fellow queers, theys, thems, hymns, and fems? And welcome to the Cosmic Queer Podcast. This is a love letter to all of my neurodivergent and LGBTQ family who are out there breaking cycles no matter how painful it may be. I'm going to approach this from a lens of spirituality, self-empowerment, and harm reduction. I'm Kim and I'm your host, and I'm so excited to have the opportunity to share my story with you on this platform. Thank you so much for being here with me, and let's get on with the show. Cosmic Queer Podcast. I'm Kim and I'm the host and this is episode four. Um, I know I originally was trying to post weekly um, just with the holiday season. It's January 10th now so I'm finally settled down enough for me me to have time to actually record Um, but I think I overextended my expectations of myself when I was just starting out thinking I would have time. But yeah, I'm going to share a few quick little updates with you guys so you kind of know what's going on in my world. Um, I would love to know what's happening in yours, so feel free to um, comment, leave voice recorded message on the podcast website, or like reach out on my socials. Um, you can find me on Instagram probably most easily at the Cosmic Queer Podcast. Um, so if you wanted to reach out that way or directly to share kind of what's going on for you, or if you have any ideas or comments about the show, and my email address is thecosmicqueer at gmail.com. So I would really love to hear from you. Um, updates, updates. So I quit my job. <laughs> I was gearing up to it and was planning originally on January 31st. And I'd actually, before I set back, well, I had originally said like, oh yeah, within like one to two years, I'm going to quit my job because this place is fucking toxic. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Um, and then like, because I'm a tourist by nature, um, hi Luna. <laughs> That's my recording buddy for the day. She's actually a monkey. Actually, she's a torty cat, so she's just as chatty. You're welcome for this. Hey, buddy. Meow. (laughs) You say hi? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah, so I had originally um, planned to take a couple years and like plan I was so excited because I was getting like another week of vacation added to like what I can accrue over the next year because I reached um, five years at the organization I was with um, and I had just like talked myself into all these stupid fucking perks thinking that that would be that would somehow make like this all be okay with me right and I'm sure a lot of you guys right now just even given the time of the the year and what's going on with us kind of like cosmically and spiritually right now Um, I feel like a lot of people are going through this so I can definitely appreciate how others might be feeling I also appreciate that um, not everyone has the privilege or the access to quit their jobs as quickly as I did Um, it's definitely not because I have the extra privilege or access Um, I kind of just had enough and every time a new thing would happen I would just push my deadline a little bit closer to me then Um, And I just came to a point um, on the week of New Year's where it just would not stop coming. Like the abusive crap would not stop coming. So I was like, you know what? Luna's here for the comedic relief. (laughs) I decided, you know what? Like I am at this point just disrespecting myself. If I continue to stay at an agency or a place of employment that is regularly treating me with disrespect and... 
asking, expecting me to be thankful for that, expecting that that's an opportunity for me. And they were also really actively hindering my growth, despite them telling me they weren't doing that. Um, so I've had a lot of time to think about it. And that's kind of where I reached my decision of like, you know what, I'm putting in two weeks as of the first. Luna, come here. Come on, you old monkey, come here. Um, so I gave them my notice as of the 15th. So next Friday in five days, I'm completely free of that full-time job. Um, and I'm terrified, but I'm also, I could not be happier because that was the biggest and the last big arena that was really driving negativity into my life and taking away from any of my like happy and joy and all of those (laughs) parts of myself that I remember them killing and squashing. So I'm really excited to come back to myself and see what that brings me. I think also because of the turmoil I've been going through um, with my employment up until this point for the last about like seven or eight months, like basically through the pandemic, it's been really challenging. Um, and I'm sure you guys understand too, like how have your places of employment been treating you given this pandemic? Because most of the places try to look like they're doing their best, but then when you see the actual person to person contact, a lot of it is employers still expecting employees to put themselves at a higher risk than the employer will. And that means like asking, food service workers to come in still, keeping restaurants open, keeping anything open, fucking anything, but expecting your staff to sacrifice their time with their families, their health, like the possible health risks and conditions of even catching COVID based on the industries that you're working in. Those are expectations that like they're telling me and you how much they value you and your life. They would rather make money than keep people safe. And like be most wary of the places that treat themselves like they're like a family unit because those are the ones who are gonna uh, use even more guilt and manipulation because I've never seen a family system that is prideful on being an awesome family system that doesn't manipulate and guilt their kids or their family members into contributing to that like perfect illusion. Um, And I feel it's the same at, at companies, any company and honestly any industry. I've seen it in every industry I've ever worked in. Um, yeah, so I just want to, I want to check in with you guys on how are your employers treating you? If you're, um, unfortunate enough to be working, but also working, you know what I mean? Like I, I recognize the privilege right now, especially in the time of the world where we have the ability to work for some folks and some folks don't have that privilege and I fully respect what that means but I'm talking on a greater level, like this is a global choice that was imposed on us, right? And when the powers at play are insinuating, even through the micro chasms of a a front level employer, right? Like that's a small example of what's happening globally. And that's why I'm trying to talk about what everyone's experiencing on such an individual level, because that's a reflection of what's actually happening globally. That's how important your experience is. Because our experiences, though they are different and unique, they connect us. And the biggest thing they don't want us to do, and by by they, I mean the people and the things that have been in power for millions of years don't want us connected to ourselves or to each other. There's a reason that everything is kind of controlled and changed and that your narrative is chosen for you, sometimes before you're fucking born, right? 
it's been it's been a fucking week. <laughs> so I made that decision of like I'm fucking walking. I'm out of here. Um, and I thought, what better time than to what better time or way than to talk to you guys on this platform about a little bit about what I experienced, but also um, give you guys some examples of what narcissistic or emotional abuse or manipulation could look like in the workplace based on some examples of what I've directly experienced that um, are like out of the park straight hitters for narcissistic traits. Um, And I'm also going to try and give you guys some tips that at least have worked for me on how to kind of extricate yourself from that situation in a graceful way while still getting your moments to stick it to them. (laughs) And protecting yourself and your energy in the process because the sooner you can identify what um, dynamics you're working within or that are working themselves out of you the sooner you can extricate yourself and so we're going to start with that today and I'm just going to see where that takes us I've got a whole list of stuff I would love to talk about um, and I'm just going to start with this one because I think this is what not enough people need to or no sorry not enough people need to know this don't tell anyone Um, I think what happens is, especially in the narrative of working with a narcissist or having a narcissist in your life in any capacity, they're really skilled at gaslighting, which means they're really skilled at denying your reality and making you think you're fucking crazy. And I'm here to tell you collectively that you are not crazy. And even if you responded with what you might describe as crazy to their ongoing abuse, it's okay to forgive yourself because they fucking put you in that position. They did that over time and they did that purposefully and strategically so that at the end when they're done with their pinnacle of abusing you and you speak out hopefully you'll look crazy enough or wild enough or just fucking discredited enough that it won't matter what you expose about them no one will believe you there's always an overarching purpose and intent to someone gaslighting you and if you look at what would this person have to gain by de- by denying my reality or not making sure I don't believe in my own. There's a lot of power in understanding that. So a situation for me was that um, the director of my program ended up being someone that I was playing out unresolved trauma with. And I think they were doing the same with me. They, so they would have been like three or four positions above me. Like there were, I think next to the CEOs, like right next up there. Um, High hitters had been at the place I was working for like their whole career virtually and made sure you knew it, right? And when I met this person, um, I had actually been drawn to them because I was, uh, I saw parts of myself in them, right? And I was trying to befriend them. I saw them as a person of light, a person who was funny, um, like kind of charismatic. They presented as all those things that drew me in. And as an empath, of course it did, right? Because usually the narrative that happens for us is if we see somebody who is making a spectacle of themselves or who's kind of outwardly there or really vocal about their own vulnerability or perceived vulnerability, that draws us in because we want to help them. Even if we don't recognize that in that moment, that's what's happening. It might just be like, 
oh, I'm attracted to this person or I want to talk to this person or get to know this person more. It could be something as simple as that. And you just might not be able to explain it to yourself. Um, And so I also invite you to to think about when you meet somebody who appears really charismatic to you or gives you those feelings, try to be aware of them and check in with yourself about why that person might be eliciting those responses in you. That might actually be a really helpful way for you to avoid a whole lot of bullshit every time you meet somebody new. It'll be a good way to determine if you need to move forward with a relationship with that person in whatever capacity it may be, is do you feel fucking triggered? Do you feel like if you don't find a way to connect with this person, you won't be able to breathe? If this person feels like a way out, sit with that. I encourage you to sit with that. Child, come here lemur um (laughs) sit with those feelings let yourself feel them and accept them because those feelings are beautiful those feelings are your intuition telling you what you might have already experienced or what it sees coming for you so you meet this charismatic person you might or might not already be aware that they're a narcissist and now they're going to enter the phase of love bombing you and you might have heard about this um I've even seen a lot of TikToks lately that have been coming up, like accounts talking about narcissistic abuse in romantic relationships. Um, And I think where I saw a gap was identifying narcissistic relationships more so in the workplace, because sometimes I find, for me at least, I found that by being a neurodivergent person um, who was queer and not out until my mid-20s, and a neurodivergent person who experienced household trauma as a child. Where my narcissistic relationships shadowed back to me was in a lot of my workplace experiences. So if you think of like a suppressed gay teenager and I had a female manager who was like in her 20s or 30s when I was working at a pizza place, Yeah, I idolized her and I had no boundaries and I struggled. And even though she took advantage of my scheduling and overworked me, it didn't matter because I was 14 and it was my first job and I was taught to work hard and buckle down because you should own that franchise. And I don't know why that was advice that we gave to kids when I was younger, but that was what I embodied is like, okay, well, they're beating me down because they see value in me. And that's what, even when I would talk about my work experiences as a younger person and my family might've told me like, well, here's how you're going to deal with that. Or this is normal, or this is fine, or this is actually a good thing. Keep on dealing with it. And that sets you up for a lot of shit when you're older. And that's kind of why, it's a big part of the reason why I'm trying to talk about narcissism in the workplace specifically And I'm going to probably talk about it in all aspects of things, but the reason that I want to focus on the workplace is because most of the people are working in some capacity. And if they're not working within like a capitalist system, then that way they might be having to engage with it in different capitalist system, like the disability programs in in Canada and Alberta, um, like the Alberta supports programs, which are shit, like all of these social service resources are no different institutions than an employer, than a school, than a hospital. 
all of these institutions operate from the same place of people last. Whether they say that their policy of the month is that they're going to be human-centered or strength-based, they, they aren't. I don't trust corporations who use the flavor of the month. I trust places or people who demonstrate what they believe in. And when you're noticing discrepancies between how someone speaks and how they behave, it's because there are discrepancies to be noticed. And that is on them. But if you're noticing it, it's important to do something with that. Reflect on that. What does that mean for you? Because in sometimes you might be able to go, okay, yeah, that's just them being ridiculous or projecting their stuff or whatever, and you can move on. But in what ways is it impacting you? Is it causing negative responses to you or a negative impact in any way towards you? And that's why you need to check in with yourself when you're feeling those big feelings. Even when you're feeling small ones or you're telling yourself something's not a big deal, like that should be a red flag to yourself that you're like, wait, why did I just say that to myself? What am I minimizing? Because a lot of my narrative that I've been working on unpacking and the way that the voices in my head talk are reflective of how I've been treated when I've talked about my boundaries being crossed since I was a kid and up to a young adult. Um, And it doesn't benefit me to minimize my direct experience and my experience is not being relayed in a way that's dishonest. This is 100% what I went through and just like yours is 100% valid. If someone is trying to take that away from you or diminish the value or the meaning of your experience, that's a fucking red flag. Luna agrees. (laughs) And it's okay to walk away from that. And in fact, I boldly encourage it. Because no other people deserve to benefit from dampening your light or from squashing down a person and their passion and their values and their beliefs or their boundaries or their worth. They don't get to do that. So back to love bombing with narcissists. So in a workplace, love bombing might look different than how we perceive it in relationships, even than how it might be um, portrayed in like TV shows where there's like a narcissistic partner or something. Um, So the traditional way it's perceived for those who might not know what love bombing means is the person will kind of shower you with attention, affection, even possibly gifts. Um, It could be like in a romantic partner, they could just just be I love you way too soon and not even like lesbian too soon. It could be like first date, I love you or move in with me. They could want to move really quick or secure a commitment from you out of the gate. Um, It could be that they're giving you a lot of public attention, like public praise or affection or things like that. Things to kind of make you feel special and different from the rest. Okay, so now... Consider what that might look like in a workplace. And this could be with a coworker or any person in your workplace. Like it could be a supervisor, a manager, a CEO, the main boss that is at your place of work. It's not always the coworker. I know most of the narratives in the kind of manuals I've read in my time kind of make it seem like it's more 
risks often going to come from a coworker. And I think that's that does happen, but I think for the most part, the narrative of that is demonstrated so that they can divert attention from the fact that it could happen from people who are your superiors. And I think the reason they do that is because they want to reduce the possible accountability and reduce people from thinking that that's where it might happen. Like point them in the direction that you want them to look is kind of what I'm getting at. And so though we have these processes, though there is a human resources department, all of these things, there might even be like the best conflict resolution process and that's great. But usually the first step of most of those processes or policies is to talk to the person who is abusing you or who you think is abusing you and see if you can't work it out one-to-one. That is the worst thing you can do with a narcissist. Because when you get, if you've ever experienced this, you'll know exactly what I mean. If you try to talk or speak one-on-one with somebody who you believe is treating you like with narcissistic abuse or they're a narcissist, whatever the fuck, they will shift that conversation on you so quick. Like they will turn that so that you feel fully responsible for the conversation. You might end it in an apology yourself. You might, like they'll flip the script, they'll flip your narrative, they'll flip your beliefs because when there's no one else there, it's a lot easier for them to try to contort what your understanding of the experience was. But notice that you didn't go there to discuss the validity of your experience. You went there to discuss perhaps the impact of that experience and to set some boundaries or ask and ask that it not happen again or explore it further with that person, maybe to seek some empathy from them and some understanding of how they might have impacted you. And when that person's response or if someone's response is to now create kind of like a boxing ring, when they flip their switch and they're like, oh, you're talking to me about something I did wrong. Okay, well, now we're going to pick that apart and see whether it's valid that you told me um, at this point in time. I'm going to pick it apart for your timing. I'll pick it apart for your grammar, for semantics, for validity of your feelings. They might put it back on like, yeah, but like, aren't you close to your period? Like, no, bitch, I'm not taking it extra personally because I'm close to my period. I'm taking it personally because you made it personal. And it's not acceptable for someone to be brought information about how they have harmed someone and for them to turn around and use that as an opportunity to try and discredit that other person who brought them the information and the pain and use that to rip them apart. That is abusive. And one of the first things you can do if you feel like you found somebody who is being abusive to you in that kind of respect where they're manipulating or contorting your views um, or trying to change the perception that others might have of you, because that's all with the final goal, right, of discrediting you publicly. So that when when and if you come out and tell what everything, wow, words today, and tell them everything that happened or tell like a group of people, that hopefully no one will believe you. That's their goal. That's why they can be ruthless. The love bombing, in my opinion, or in my experience, 
has primarily been used as a cycle for them to gather information and vulnerability from me and kind of harvest that and save it for later in a jar. So that when I bring them something they're going to do shitty, inevitably something shitty they will do, when I bring that to them and they they can then go, okay, well, let me just look into my nice little stack of jars here. Hmm, you have uh, Danny issues and mental health about this and this and this because we've had these deep conversations six months ago. So now I'm going to use that to call down your mental stability because you have daddy issues or because you've talked to me about your financial stability or you've talked to me about whatever it could be. They will go back into that fucking archive so fast, you guys. And that's why I say like when you catch on that someone is extra charismatic around you or they're eliciting a response in you that is anxious, there is a reason for that. And keep your guard, especially around what you share with those people. Less is more with a narcissist. Less is fucking more. Give them nothing. Better yet, give them silence. Let them dig themselves a hole because you know they will. They will. Inevitably. And the best thing you can do is get comfortable with silence. Get comfortable with it hanging there because they try to kind of like infuse their own anxiety into the situation because an, a narcissist has such a pull over an empath because we've both been abandoned as children, but we've usually been abandoned in different ways. So if you look at the archetype of the neurodivergent and possibly queer or not queer, it doesn't really matter, but someone who is neurodivergent and an empath, I can almost guarantee that they would have had a lot more experiences of emotional abuse or possibly a manipulation. Like they'd be more susceptible to that because narcissists specifically target the qualities in empaths because they feed off a lot of that energy, like fear and vulnerability and compassion and emotions, right? And because narcissists shut off from their emotions when they were abandoned, and usually they were abandoned in the form of like possibly narcissistic parents. It could have been emotionally absent parents. Um, they could have sig significantly experienced trauma. I'm definitely not trying to minimize that. Uh, but it's usually that someone wasn't there emotionally for them, someone significant in their life. And whether that was on purpose or not isn't always relevant. And so if that's the case that happened, and now an empath usually was abandoned by their family or the world in a different way because it's not built for neurodivergent people, nonetheless an empath alone. And if an empath like me feel, felt like the world abandoned me because it wasn't built for me, my whole life I never thought I would fit in. My family seems to. And they didn't seem to understand how I felt like I didn't fit in. And that's okay, they don't have to, right? But that's a different level of yearning that a child or a young person is going to have when they grow up with that experience. So if you mix people with those types of experiences with narcissists, it's kind of like a recipe for fucking disaster, right? And it's bound to be toxic. It's just kind of like to what, length will it be toxic to what extent and for how long will this go on before one of these people step outside because there's going to be a point where one of you has to 
And usually the narcissist will try to keep it going the longest as possible because they're the ones who are ultimately benefiting and they don't care that they're contributing the toxicity to maintain it. They don't care. Ignore the love bombing. It's not real. It's all part of one game to get you connected to them, right? So that if you're connected, you will do more. And if you apply that to a workplace, if a company operates from a position of narcissism overall, and you know the types of companies those could be, right? You've probably seen them. You might've worked at them specifically, but when a company operates from that place rather than a place of human people first, it becomes very clear in the types of people that will get hired there the purpose of the individual people because you might actually be able to group those people into different categories of like okay here are the empaths who are going to carry this place here are because they'll feel personally responsible or um responsible but like they'll kind of emburden themselves almost like they'll want to they'll, they'll have the savior complexes sometimes that could also be the people with narcissism that could appear they have savior complexes but they only tend to do the work under pressure if it's public work under pressure because they need to get that praise from groups of people. They need praise in a social capacity versus empaths who needed an individual capacity because we missed that, right? And then the narcissist can abuse the empath by knowing that and providing individual validation at the beginning as part of that love bombing so that the empath can contribute to their social validation overall. But the problem is that theirs is manufactured and ours is funded by real emotion, by real feelings, by real vulnerability. And they know that. They know that. Okay, I'm going to <laughs> deal with my monkey and I'm going to grab a quick sip of coffee. Coffee? Copy. I'm just going to copy everything down, say it again. Um, yeah, and we're going to come back for the next part of this episode. Alrighty, so we are back in action. I've got my little monkey back together with me. She's laying down now, so we should have a quieter second part of this episode. Okay, so we've covered a little bit of examples. Of, oh, Jesus Christ, I can't even speak today. Um, a few examples of what a narcissist might do in the workplace um, that are kind of more the obvious ones. So I'm going to touch on a couple of the a couple examples of some more overt stuff that you might notice or that you might have noticed before um, and how you might be able to respond to them. And then we're going to talk a bit more about what's been happening kind of cosmically um, for everyone and maybe what to expect for the next little while here. Um, okay, so let's say you're in a relationship in some capacity we're going to stay work for now in a work capacity with a narcissist who is a superior to you in some way. So whether they're like a direct supervisor, an overall like general manager or something, um, they don't have to have like your direct relationship, but you do have a relationship with them, if that makes sense. Like they don't have to be your only boss. Because you can experience this fucking anywhere. So one thing you might see, especially when you notice that this person laps up that social attention is that they're going to also find a way to invalidate you in those social capacities. So an easy example of that 
is in like a team meeting, a work meeting with your frontline team or your staff, whoever else is there working with you. And when they're kind of like your colleagues and your peers, and then there's just a few of those leaders who are in a meeting with you guys, has this person spoken over you? Have they used the platform of a staff meeting as an opportunity for them to share personal stories that no one asked about? Um, and that could be them derailing an entire part of a meeting to talk about something seemingly irrelevant, but that's um, appearing to be important to them. Um, <laughs> this might be too specific. I'm not going to share it. I'm going to leave that out. <laughs> um, okay, so it could be that during these meetings, um, you notice that this one person will speak over similar people. So if you have kind of people who are more outspoken in a group and some who are more introverted, you might notice that they speak over the introvert folks a lot. Um, they might also still do this with the outspoken people, but it'll likely be a little bit less unless they're actively butting heads with somebody who's on that more outspoken line. Um, I also find that in the capacity of like meetings or team kind of um, settings like that, that the narcissist is also going to usually have someone that they favor that they're referring to regularly throughout that time. So during the meeting, you might notice that like, hey, if my favorite person is Luna and I'm the one leading the meeting and I really hate Kim, I'm going to keep referring to Luna um, as like a star for doing the things that I think Kim sucks at. So that even though the whole group doesn't necessarily pick it up, or they might, um, Kim will definitely know that Luna is better than her or that Luna has more favor for me as a boss, if that makes sense. So it can be little things like that where you can't prove it. You might not even be able to articulate that it was real or that it fucking happened to begin with, but it is real. The whole, the way that they orchestrate every single moment like that is orchestrated in such a way that you will not be able to prove it. That you might not even think it was real. That it will elicit that emotional response in you that makes you feel as though your boundaries have been crossed because they were. But at the same time, it's going to also encourage you to gaslight yourself if it's not ultimately gaslighting you in the action of what it is. So that you think you deserve that treatment or so that you don't think it happened, or that you're overreacting, or that you're being emotional, or whatever the case may be um, for that time. It's important to notice this if it's happening with your peers at work as well. So if there, especially if there's someone like that's already kind of known for this crap, and then you notice that they set their sights on another person, it's important to say something and publicly support the people that they appear to be trying to diminish. So if it's back to like the me and my cat example and someone keeps trying to diminish Kim for Luna, they're not going to be able to do that as easily if the rest of the team kind of jumps in throughout those meetings to support and notices it because humans first, right? And I feel like in a lot of workplaces, we value and I think because the workplaces make us think this, we value the security of our jobs. And if we call out the shit we see in our leaders, we are putting our security at risk. 
our financial security, which means we're putting our possible basic needs at risk by saying something or by holding somebody in power over us accountable for their behavior. Because even though there are stupid policies like conflict resolution, it doesn't mean anything. Those policies in and of themselves were built to be able to perpetuate the abuse between the higher levels to the lowers. It's built to support lateral violence, right? Because they put all the power in the hands of the people at the top of the pyramid. But those are also the same people that most of the time that power imbalance is going to happen from is the people at the top. Those are the ones who are going to abuse the lower level folks. And I say lower level generally, I just mean who's kind of like at the higher level of privilege in each employment, right? That's what I'm meaning. The whole system is set up this way. And so when I talk about narcissists, I don't just talk about like this ex-boyfriend or a fucking boss or whatever. I'm talking about like there are narcissists who are running the fucking world and who are determining how we are treated and what we deserve and what our worth is based on our fucking skin color. And that is no longer acceptable. And so if we see this on a frontline level at your at a staff meeting and I urge you to say something, I'm also urging you to say something when you see it on a grander level, if it is safe for you to do so, right? And this is me saying it on a grander level is we the empaths need to call out the narcissism that we see in the world before us right now because it is real if you're not sure fucking dm me email me leave me a voice recording on this podcast like let's talk about this because i'm here to validate you guys because no one validated me was when I was little, when I needed it, when I was a young adult ever, I was built to self-betray. And despite them all, I'm still standing here and I'm not about to do that. And I'm going to use my power of self-validation to validate you because you deserve that. All right, so now that I'm done trying to mobilize all the empaths to take down the world, um, <laughs> Connecting with this theme of who a narcissist is, something that was really difficult for me to learn as when I was kind of like a present victim of narcissism, I guess I'll say, like when I was in the victim mode, is that I would try to justify, intellectualize, or even just understand why they would do that to me. And ultimately, it's because my expectations of human beings are much higher than those of a narcissist. So I expect to be treated with reciprocity if I treat people with respect um, and kindness and due diligence and I do my hard work for them and I show up, I expect the same from others, especially when they've outlined that as an expectation for me, like in the job description, right? So I have an even harder time when it's like a boss or someone of authority and I already have authority problems because of who I am. <laughs> so when I have someone with an authority over me trying to tell me to do something and there is hypocrisy in what they are asking me or they are beating me with what they are asking me and they know it, I will absolutely call it out. And I'm encouraging you guys to do the same because 
there are ways you can do that that yes they won't like it yeah it's gonna rock the fucking boat but you can do it in a way that is diplomatic safe and respectful and protects you and your dignity and your credit while still holding that person accountable because there's no reason for someone to treat you like shit no matter what position they have in the world and then for them to turn around and tell you that you deserve it or that you're imagining it if you feel those big feelings they happened because they are real and bigger emotions mean bigger boundaries were crossed so it's okay to acknowledge that and if you're not sure how to even start i want to help you and just let me know what i can do because i don't know where everybody is at but i've definitely been in a lot of those really low places and i'm actively crawling myself out of that fucking cave hole like descendant style like blood over my face you know and you're worth crawling out of the cave you're worth so much more than how the shitty people in your life treat you and even if me a total stranger can say hi i love you you matter your inner child matters your shadow self and higher self love you and matter and your experience is so beautiful and valid And it deserves to be seen. And it deserves to be heard. And just because some little bitch ass dude with like small man syndrome or whoever the fuck thinks that they can talk to you and elicit self-betrayal in you, then that just means you're at the beginning of your Elwood stage. And like... (laughs) dream come true i will be what's her fucking name who is she oh i always have her name on hand and now i can't remember her i'm like kirsty alley it's not kirsty alley now it's gonna book me the one who's like i'm taking the dog dumbass that one fuck is that stifler's mom who is stifler's mom everyone stop laughing at me i can hear it uh jennifer coolidge that's who it fucking is i will be your jennifer coolidge i will do your nails and all i ask is that you take me to go kick my ex-husband's ass and steal a dog it'll be great we'll do it together you get to go be a bitch-ass lawyer it's gonna be fantastic you can wear all pink suits whatever you want live your best life i'm here for you i will be your jennifer coolidge i will just be back there just just pursing my lips and my eyes at the same time in full support of you and you beautiful little beings and your souls because you guys deserve the world the absolute fucking world and it's here for you it's waiting for you all you need to do is identify what you need to release so that you can keep coming over and if if you if it's narcissism if it's these people who are fucking staking their little dirty claws in you i'm here to help you release yourself save yourself there is a huge amount of power in the way you think in what your mindset is and what you tell yourself and you can't always control your thoughts sometimes they're just there right and it's okay to be the observer but you're not just the observer you're also the creator of those thoughts you're the creator of your thoughts and your future so if you don't like where you're living We'll build a new reality together and I will help you. I am here for you. 
this is not for me. I talk out of my ass like this every fucking day. I just decided to record it because what if someone else just needs to hear the revelations I'm having that might seem commonplace to some, but that took me, in some cases, 26 goddamn years to get to. And there's something so beautiful about that for me, that regardless of if this only impacts one people, or eight people, or 30, I don't care. You all are so eternally beautiful, and you matter, and I'm so thankful that I've already gotten to speak to a few of you. You're so beautiful just as you are. And where you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be. And if you're not happy, if you're feeling pain, I invite you to look at where that's coming from and release that from yourself. Release that from your life. Release all that no longer serves you. You deserve love and joy and light. You deserve to feel the sun and not want to shy away. You deserve to feel at home in your body. And you deserve to feel safe in your mind and in your heart. And no one, and I mean fucking no one, gets to touch that anymore and gets to take away from you and trample on your vulnerability like it's a field flower. They don't get to do that anymore. You matter above all of this. You matter above everything that's happening. And everything that's happening is a reflection of what is yet to be solved in you or what your thoughts are telling you are real. Because your thoughts have the power to change reality. And if you're like, this lady is a fucking crackpot, like shut the fuck up, that's okay. You can think that you can be whatever you need to be here. You're accepted at every stage of yourself. I accept you for every part of who you are because skepticism has kept you safe. Anything that you perceive as negative isn't negative. It has been a strength for you. And even if that means you don't believe what I'm talking about, or you're like, yeah, whatever, fuck this, we're not talking about mindfulness, we're not. I'm talking about liberating the human brain from capitalism, from the way that this world is an experiment, from the way that everything you do and even your values can be centered in what some stupid white guy decided you need to value. You have so much power with where you put your attention and your money and your time. Those are votes and you get to vote with all of those things every single day and your votes can change your reality because where you put attention, where you put energy, where you put your thoughts, will create your reality and that's why if you feel like you've been experiencing cycles of abuse or you're getting you get free of one narcissist and here comes a fucking another one because that will happen they seek you out man they're little vampires they see it they see your light and they want it if you're seeing that over and over it might be 
it might be because you have something internal projecting into the world. So if you think about like how even Shakespeare would, he said like all the world's a stage. Think about it that way. The world is a stage for what is inside of you because you are the world, you are the universe experiencing itself. And as soon as you realize that, you realize that you can actually change how you experience yourself because you are the universe. And sure, you were dealt your hand of cards when you started here and when you got here, but you were also dealt amnesia. And you get to choose to remember who you are. You get to choose to let go of what doesn't serve you and to move away from the things that dim your light. You get to choose to love yourself first and to put your needs above anything else because you need to be overflowing and abundant and love before you can even be expected to share that light with others and those who demand it from you do not deserve it from you. It is because they are so hungry for their own and they're so unwilling to look within that they would first take from others than develop themselves. And if that is not the definition of a fucking narcissist, I don't know what is. Empaths, you are power. You have evolved. You are the ones who are capable of caring. And that's why they fucking find you. That's why they're trying to kill you. And I'm not like, everyone's trying to kill you. It's not that. It's why... If you're an empath, you've experienced, I'm sure that more than one person in your life who has tried to take advantage of your empathy, of your compassion, of your skills, of your vulnerability, because they don't have it, because they want what you have. Because if you've ever met another empath, they don't take from you. And it's because they know what that's like they might not take from you. They might, they might have more equal exchange. They might have more emotionally intelligent conversations with you, right? Like all of that matters. And really when I talk about something that sounds trivial in the grand scheme of things like narcissism, it's actually huge because the name of the game on this floating marble that they're trying to distract you from is caring, is love. Who is willing to love and care and feel compassion for other beings, for things other than themselves? Who are those people? Empaths. Many children, right? Empathy is about caring. So narcissists abuse empaths because they perceive caring and vulnerability as weakness because they were treated as weak for maybe once caring when they were younger. Because maybe they watched their mother who was empathetic and caring get taken advantage of by a narcissist herself or be abused by someone. Or maybe they had an emotionally absent parent so they shied away from empathy and caring and they decided it was a weakness because they wanted to reject those emotions and the need for that because that need was not met. And when you look at a narcissist, 
as a traumatized child, it does not necessarily take away their accountability by no means should they not be held accountable if they are full of shit and if they treat people like that. However, it gives you back the power as the empath because they're a lot less big and scary when you think of a toddler having a tantrum in a 35-year-old man's body. It's still terrifying because those people have a lot of power and they throw it the fuck around, especially when you think of white men as narcissists. However, if you can dismantle that in your head, you will find that those experiences with people who are narcissists will get easier for you because you can detach emotionally when it's no longer actually about you because the, the, the myth the illusion that's created when a narcissist abuses an empath or enters that dynamic with an empath and on top of that, a neurodivergent empath. That dynamic is inherently one set up to fully drain that empath of their emotions, of their light, And it's going to do so in a very demanding and sometimes very quick way. And when you can choose to detach your emotional self from the situation, your responses will actually start to reflect that. And it'll piss them off. (laughs) I don't know what better way to share it, but that like, if you want to get a rise out of them back, you can. And you do this by literally not giving a fuck what they say. You can give a fuck. If you need to feel feelings based on what they do, do so for sure. But don't do so to their benefit. Don't let them see that. They don't need to see that. They don't deserve to know that part of you anymore. They've taken advantage of that part of you. So now what you're going to do as the enlightened, the empowered empath is you're going to say, Actually, no, (laughs) I'm not engaging with this shit anymore. And so if it's in a workplace, for example, here's what I did in those staff meetings, in those one-to-one conversations, I pulled myself together to be in a place of peace. And this took a long time because he was very good at getting a reaction out of me. However, I pulled myself together so that whenever I would have to engage in this person, I would just be light and detached and seem unfucking bothered by anything. And it was amazing. <laughs> because, especially during COVID, everything is video, right? All right. So I don't even have to deal with this person in person, which is lovely. So I've had to deal with this person over videos and over these videos I watched them unravel because you don't get to see this as much in person and so when it's like you're just watching their little face on the screen and you watch their eyes twitch or you watch um, them start fidgeting or even how they share might try to bait you into talking about your experiences or into sharing something vulnerable or it could be like um they could say something to bait you to start like that combative type of conversation or argument. Sorry, I have to clean my glasses. That's the creaking. And when they do that, and if you're ready for it, 
you don't have to say anything, but you can just go like, no, actually, there's no need for me to discuss that right now. Actually, I'm good. But thank you so much for asking. That's great. Thank you. You don't have to give them anything. And when you figure out your rights in your workplace, which like if you guys want to know more about that, I will help you. Um, but when you look at your rights in the workplace and you use those and you use facts as a way to respond to this person, they will spin their fucking tires because they don't know what to do with facts. They don't like being held accountable to facts because you can't lie, right? You can't adjust what a fact looks like. You can't adjust the narrative. All you can do is be accountable. So make it about facts, detach emotionally, at least in those interactions. If you're able to try to have someone else there for any interactions with this person so that they can't um, kind of use your word against theirs and say like, oh, well, this is what you said or how you said it. This way you could have somebody who could witness your behavior and just make sure your behavior is unclockable. Make sure your body language is super chill, laid back. Um, I usually keep like a relaxed smile on my face and like try to make sure I'm really actively listening. Um, So I'll do lots of like nodding not like excessive or anything but i'll like nod make sure i'm maintaining eye contact listen to their full sentence i make sure i don't interrupt all that good stuff um yeah be the best at interacting and do it from a place of love and peace and it doesn't have to be directed at them it could be directed at yourself it could be like "Mm, i love myself i love my inner child i as the adult right now in charge of this meat suit am going to choose to protect her because i think she's way cooler than you so you're not going to be able to abuse her anymore so i can have an easy smile on my face because i'm here watching out for my kid and if you've ever struggled with self-compassion as an empath and it's easier to put someone else's shoes um put yourself in someone else's shoes or to support somebody else than yourself, then support your inner child the way that she needed to be or he needed to be or they needed to be when they were young. Be the kick-ass adult they needed and be that unapologetically. Be that the same way you would unapologetically stand up for your friend or for a family member or for a child. Do that for yourself. And you'll be unclockable. Your confidence will be unshakable because who's going to, like, and who can argue that this is a rational way to treat another person? And when you step outside of yourself, would you let your younger child, your inner child be treated this way? Would you let a family member be treated this way or a coworker? And if the answer is even a hesitating no, fucking end that person (laughs) and do it slowly and enjoy it. Okay, Um, I have a little bit more I want to say about the ego um, and narcissism and kind of caring and how those all coincide together. Um, Yeah, I kind of went back on another narcissist rant. So even though that's the goal of the episode, I'm just going to talk more a bit in a second here about what that means for uh, us in the world right now and what that's what's been happening for us. All right, we're back with part three of the episode. Um, Let me know if there's any ways that you want this to be structured that would work best for you, especially my neurodivergent folks, Um, because this is kind of going along with the way that my intention, wow, my attention is able to focus is about a half hour um, at a time. So I just kind of like 
info dump for 29 minutes and then <laughs> come on back. So let me know what you need. And if there's something specific I'm doing in the show that you want to see more of, let me know. I'm kind of just doing an overall look at what I want to share. Um, yeah, anyway, that being said, um, let's talk about what this means on more of a spiritual level. So I think I said at the beginning of the episode that today is January 10th. And I'm curious um, for everyone, but really, I want to know how the folks listening in Canada or Alberta, and everyone really though, but how have you guys been experiencing the sky? And I don't want to sound like a crazy person. So I more mean like, how have you noticed the clouds and the coloring of the sky and the clarity of the sky? So for example, um, where I live in kind of central Alberta, um, I've never not had light population, um, population, goddamn, light pollution. <laughs> and I've usually had a pretty limited view of the stars. Though I've noticed in the last like probably two, three weeks here, um, essentially since conjunction on December 21st, that the sky has been like almost perfectly clear every night to the point where like I can easily see billions of stars and like I can go up to like go outside of my house and see the square offs with Taurus and Mars right now and the little planets like I can see them from here I can see their colors I can see Jupiter and Mars and Saturn I can see them and the moon disappeared three nights ago and it was waning because we're kind of in like I think the balsamic is what it's called balsamic moon phase So our energy is waning, it's focusing us on resting and restoring and just breathing and being patient and having faith. And it wasn't supposed to go into a new moon, which is kind of when it gets dark, dark, and you usually don't see the moon um, until January 12th to 13th, um, which is not for two, three more days. So the fact that the moon kind of disappeared while it was um, waning, and hasn't resurfaced at least from my side of the sky. So I'm just curious like what you guys have been seeing. Um, I've also seen a whole ton of what looks like big satellites. Like it could be like a plane or something, right? But it's stationary, but hovering. Um, So kind of like, you know, when you see a plane and you'll see the red and uh, white flashing lights as they're flying around or whatever, Um, you might even see those on the towers to warn the planes. It's like those, but bigger than the size of a plane, but not by much. Um, And then like, they're in the same place every night. And I see them flashing like light. And then I zoom in on them with my camera to be like, what is this? Is this a planet? Is this just like a fun, spicy star right now? Like what's going on? Am I just looking at a satellite? And I go to zoom in and shit turns like technicolor and has the hardest time focusing. And he squeaks. So I was like, what the heck is this? I'm curious if you guys have seen anything like that. Um, I definitely notice it more at nighttime. I don't see them during the day, but at night I'll go back out every night at like the same times and check. Hi. And it's they seem to be in mostly the same place. So I'm just wondering if I'm like missing something massive astrologically or what's kind of going on, but... Um, I thought that was kind of a weird but fun thing to talk about. (laughs) And a howler monkey. Um, Yeah, so that's what I've been seeing there. And I've also been feeling a lot of like 
energetic charges in the sky and so by that I mean like sometimes there might be like it might be overcast with clouds during the day and the next thing I know I go outside and it's like twilight and I get the most beautiful sunsets and sunrises right now and like such beautiful dusk and dawns and then I've been seeing the moon so beautifully and clearly up until a couple days ago when it kind of just like dipped and the sun's been extremely bright and I'm digging it. I'm eating it the fuck up. Like it's amazing. But I'm also just like, what the heck is going on? And I, I treat what I observe in the sky and what I feel every day from that, from like what I see in my surroundings, I treat that with what I'm supposed to be doing. Because if I am the universe, if the universe is experiencing itself through me, then my environment has an impact on me, just like my internal brain environment has an impact on what I create, right? And so when I'm watching like these overcast clouds and then I'll watch like the wind push them and do a full turnover of the sky, making it completely cloudless in like say a half an hour. And then there's billions of stars twinkling at me. I'm just like blown away. And it's like magic and I see it every night. And during the day, I'm seeing these wild clouds that are like really um, striated. Like there's lots of lines through them. Like they look like they're big chops of clouds through the skies and they're only in these types of shapes. Like they don't look like the usual fluffy ice cream cone clouds that I'm used to seeing. And so that's why I'm like, I don't know if it's just like meteorology I need to learn <laughs> or if there's actually something to this, but I'm just curious if others are seeing stuff like that too and what that's looking like from your part of the world. Um, yeah, I just, there's a lot going on right now and there's a lot of big shifts happening and it's beautiful time. I know there's a lot of shit going on, but it's such a beautiful world. <sighs> And we're meant to enjoy this world as much as we can. And so if the only thing you can do is go outside for five minutes every night and just sit there and look up, I encourage you to try. Yeah, I encourage you to try. Now, if we look back at how the world is currently looking, especially if we think about um, kind of how I just described the cosmos that I'm seeing. Um, and then we're seeing the world kind of tumbling apart a little bit right now, right? It's shifting those energies. It's having a full turnover of the clouds. We as people are actively leaving that behind. We're leaving darkness behind. And I think that's why it's so important right now more than ever to tell my sweet, sweet empaths to be patient for a little while longer. Believe in yourself and create exactly what you want. And don't be afraid to play big. Don't play small anymore. This world wasn't for you to play small. This world was for you to show your individual light and power that comes with that light. And don't be fearful of what will happen if you share that light with the world. 
because yeah it could be there could be shitty things that come of that but there could also be really beautiful things that you never even dreamed of that might not even be within your reach or your realm until you're willing to put yourself out there vulnerable but on your own terms it's not the same vulnerability as when you're exploited And if you tell someone that you've been exploited or treated poorly or whatever, and their response is anything but an apology and shifting their fucking behavior, that is your direction to leave. No fucking job is worth that treatment. No job. It's just a job. Your job doesn't define who you are. A narcissist sure as fuck doesn't define who you are. They will try. So many different entities or people will try. And that's okay. Be okay with being misunderstood. Be okay with not needing to explain yourself to people who aren't worth knowing you. Because they haven't treated you with that respect to begin with. There will be those who actively exploit those who care. There will be those exploited and there will be those who watch. Whether they benefit or not, they watch. That matters and that is a big statement, but it's also... It's something to think about in terms of how are you aligning yourself Are you aligned in your decisions with who you are and with what you believe in? Are you participating in in environments that you feel represent your values truly? Are you in environments that expect you to compromise who you are for their benefit? For their benefit. And what are the motives of those who are trying to tell you your own narrative, your own thoughts, the ones who are trying to target your attention? What is their motive for that? And everything stems back to ego, because if you look at the ego of a narcissist versus the ego of an empath, the core difference that I can see is one of them is brave enough to care, and the other was so fearful that they built a wall so high between them and their emotions that they would never want to look at them again. And yet then they will take hours from us because they still need emotions to live. They're just unwilling to feel their own. And that doesn't mean that they get to extract our big emotions from us in order to feed their large appetites. You are a life force to none other than yourself. And you will only now share your energy with those who are deserving of it and those who need it. And when you have enough to give. This world is set up to harm and restrict neurodivergent people, empathetic people from birth. Look at how every system has treated you. Look at how gym class felt. Did it feel fun to move your body? 
when they made sure that gym class was structured to be athletic Olympian kids who beat your ass in dodgeball and fucking made it painful. Who plow you over in football. We made every sport about a fight. We made every movement not joyous, but aggressive. And then we failed you. Then we graded you on how well you can move. It's almost like the point was to think that you're not worthy, that your body is not worthy, so that you'll subscribe to other systems outside of that. Right? So that you'll buy a gym membership, go to this gym, go to that gym, get these classes, get fucking Pilates, whatever it is, like (laughs) yoga. And like, there's nothing wrong with those things inherently. There's nothing wrong with moving your body inherently. It's when that is capitalized. It's when that is westernized and whitewashed and racially appropriated, culturally appropriated. If you want to engage in anything like that, it's okay to do that. But from the people who originated it, from the creators of it. And additionally to that, think about how all the systems in your life How do they feel to you if you're a neurotypical or if you're a neurodivergent person? Who do they feel tailored to? Do these systems feel like they're here to help teach and nurture and grow neurodivergent people who seem to have all these superpowers and skills? Or are they meant to identify and diminish these people and disconnect them from themselves actively so that they are not aware, because God forbid we are aware. It's time to mobilize and empower ourselves as empaths. Luna is war crying for us. (laughs) And I want to know what's been happening for you guys. Have you, especially amidst all these cosmic changes, have you been feeling body aches and pains? Have you been processing body trauma? Has your body been changing? Yeah, Luna has. (laughs) Turned into Braveheart overnight. Have you been having headaches? Has emotional stuff been coming up for you? Where have you been drawn to go? Where has your intuition told you? Come here, you little swamp monster. Come here. Um, What's been coming up? I want to know about that. And... How are you making sure that you're loving yourself right now? How are you taking care of you? Even if it's a bubble bath, but also even if it's drawing hard lines in the sand with people you love. Even if it's walking away from a job or job security. yeah, Or even if it's killing your personal brand and starting the fuck over. It's valid, it's all valid. Everything you are is valid in every aspect of your process is valid. I really appreciate you guys spending time with me. I apologize for the random ass lapse in content. I have a better process and plan and now that my job will be out of the way, I'll have a lot more fucking time um, to actually be able to make sure I have pre-planned episodes out in advance. I might even post about them before they come out. Who knows? I'm not sure how that bold. Um, 
I super appreciate you guys. Um, I super appreciate you tuning in. You can find me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Breaker, Radio Public, all the places, um, all forward slash The Cosmic Queer. You can also email me at thecosmicqueer at gmail.com, or you can find me on Instagram by searching the the Cosmic Queer, the Cosmic Queer podcast. Um, If something I said really resonated with you today, or if you would like to support my podcast, please consider um, using the platform Buy Me a Coffee. Um, It's a way you can do a one-time small donation of like three or five bucks. Um, or you could even subscribe to send like monthly coffee donations. It won't be used necessarily just for coffee, <laughs> um, but it would go towards supporting the show. So if that is something you're interested in, you can find me at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the cosmic queer. Um, and again, I hope you guys creep it real and have a wonderful start to your week. I hope it is life changing in all the best ways. Take care, you guys. <laughs>